You are listening to the Nerd's Guide to Financial Independence podcast, episode number 13. Hey friend, I'm Sarah, and welcome to the Nerd's Guide to Financial Independence podcast. I am here to show you that financial independence can be for anyone who wants it badly enough and that investing in real estate doesn't have to be scary, take a vast DIY knowledge, or involve heaps of debt. When I am not sharing my own progress to FI, I'll be picking the brains of fellow like-minded, debt-conscientious investors. I am so glad that you are here, my fellow aspiring retirees. Hi, everybody. This is Sarah, and we are talking to Lauren and Kyle today from Reynolds to Wealth. And we have known each other for probably a year or two now, but off of Instagram. So we're kind of Instagram friends. I feel like we're pretty similar in our interests and taste and everything. And so it's been fun to watch, I guess, both of us grow in our number of properties and watch each other renovate. So yeah, I think we're both working on projects right now. We so. are, we are. Yeah, we've been following for a while and our current project right now is renovating the third floor unit in Big Green, so that's where we are. So if it's yes. a little after if you hear a train go by, it's because that's <laughs> where we're at right now. Yes, you're on the job site. So thank you guys for taking a minute to talk with everybody today because I think you guys have had such a good journey. And Big Green is, what number is this for you guys that you have owned? Or this owned is now? number four. This Property number four, but unit, it'll bring us up to seven units because it's yeah, a triplex. Five, six, seven. Yes. Yeah. The triplex always. Yeah. And you guys, you save all your highlights too on Instagram. I'm guessing you have. We do. Yeah. Yep. We have like property one, but then it's funny. Cause then, you know, the highlights only let you save like a hundred stories. So it's like property 3.7. <laughs> yes. It always reminds me that I need to like purge some of my highlights because I'm also like, no one cares to watch me shove lumber in my car or <laughs> whatever else highlights I felt were really important at the time, but it definitely limits you. So it's good to have. I like watching your guys' whole process too. Thank you. And so let's talk about maybe your first deal and how you got into this. Like at what point did you say, oh, we're going to do rental properties? It was a long process. So it's weird looking back now because so many things connected, but at the time we didn't really know what we were doing. So yeah, I was kind of just always interested in real estate. I thought maybe I'd be an agent when I graduated high school actually, but that was in 2008 and the market took a dump. So yeah. I was like, I should not go that direction. So went to college and then Kyle and I met in college and like never talked life post-college, right? Like we're just trying to figure out like, how are we going to make it to the weekend? Yeah. And we lasted through college and we went to go move in together. And I'm from North Jersey. Kyle's from South Jersey or excuse me, Central Jersey. And he was very like, important. I'm, I'm guessing it is. It's very. <laughs> it is like a separate state. There's different accents. There's different term, vocabulary. Sports mm -hmm. teams. So lots of fights. <laughs> um, and he was like, "I'm not moving to North Jersey." So we figured South Jersey was a happy medium. We wanted to move to an area that we liked. And you know, I kind of just like always grew up hearing my parents talk about like this mortgage. And the thought process was, if we could just buy a house in cash, we'd never have this mortgage. And I feel like that would set us up for life. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, read the rich dad, poor dad, find, found bigger pockets, did, you know, took the common path of a lot of people and were like, wow, there is a whole 
other strategy of house hacking specifically mm-hmm. of living for free or very cheaply and like setting yourself up for financial success. So that's kind of like where it started. And then it just so happens that the guy I started dating, you know, four or five, six years early, <laughs> it was super handy with the tools. So yeah, yeah we, Lauren found the area just by, we figured if we're going to house hack and we want it to be in an area that we like also. So she right. like looked up restaurants and like looked up for clusters of restaurants and then also some other things that went into it. But we ended up renting here for a full year before we even put our first offer in mm-hmm. now to think about that and we've come so far that it took us a year just to put an offer in like mm-hmm. yeah we're finishing a, a whole project in, in a year yeah but it was cool to live to rent to be a renter because we were kind of being our target customer yeah, exactly yeah and so we got to see like okay what's important to us do we want to be close to downtown do we want to be close to the running trails do we want to be on the first floor on the second floor what amenities are important what are we willing to pay for what mm-hmm. areas are nicer so it was nice to be kind of our client if you will for a year to see but it's funny looking back now we were like Okay, we were the best tenants because our landlord was super chill, but we were probably the worst tenants because everything in our lease that we give now to our tenants, we mm-hmm. broke when we were renters. Absolutely. We <laughs> hung like a million photos on the walls. We built a deck outside without permission. It was a floating deck. It wasn't attached in. We... <laughs> Like did I you take it down my, when you moved out or did you just like be like, here's brother your ended up, his brother actually ended up taking it. His brother loved it. I, I made it out of just like reclaimed pallet wood. Yeah. And we had like a grill area that was just all dirt. It was gross. So yeah. I asked him if I could build it. He was like, sure. And then the brother like fell in love with it and they took, disassembled it and put it over his house. And then like, I had a lot of savings. And so I was like, Ooh, I wonder if I could save money by prepaying the whole year up front. Like yeah. now that sounds so shady, but at the time yeah. I was like, what well, I'm financially responsible, just take my right. money. But so You're it's like, funny I feel so back. responsible. Yeah. yeah. Did he take the full year in advance? He did not. No, but by and at the, the time end, you're probably like, why wouldn't you want my money? And now you understand. Yes. Yeah. Now the place that we rented was a duplex. So we ended up talking to him a little bit about the process. And at the end, when we were putting offers in and looking at places, he was really helpful to us month to month and, and definitely because our lease ended but we were still renovating our first duplex and so we kind of just extended it by a month extended it by a month and he was he was good but at one point he was like all right guys yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like missing the optimal tenant uh, window pool. like you need to get out so that's really so for people that don't know why is it bad to take a full year in advance for people that are new and have no idea about real estate why is that a like a downside, I would say. Right. So it seems great because one of the scary things about having tenants is that they're not going to pay. So if you think right. they pay in full right from the beginning, you, all, you, you get rid of that worry. But if they prepay in full and you take their money, you are now more or less putting yourself in a situation where you could be stuck with them because if they violate the lease or if they um, do other things that maybe would be grounds for eviction, or maybe you want them out of there. You now have all their money. Now you have to like give them back, give it back. What if you're not financially smart and you went and spent their money? (laughs) You know, there's just totally happens. Have you guys seen the horror stories online of people being like the tenant needs their money back or their deposit and I spent it. It kills me. I'm like, there are lots of irresponsible landlords out there that totally would be like, woo, got this big check. Let's spend it. Yeah, in New Jersey, you have to put the security deposit in an escrow bearing account with our name on it and the tenant's name on it. 
it's like a, a special type of account. And yeah. I think I'm pretty financially responsible. I probably would have done something similar if the law didn't force me to do it anyway, right. but I'm glad that there are laws in place to kind of protect people from screwing themselves over. Exactly. Yeah. Because Indiana doesn't have any regulations. So where I'm at it, they don't care where the, you can commingle funds, you can do like, it's kind of a free for all. So it'd be dangerous, but I, each house has their own little account on my end, just because I don't ever want to have that problem. But again, being responsible, very important. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of self-discipline. Were either of you reluctant to move into a duplex? No. Or were you just like, no, this is what we're doing? Well, so in college, we lived in tiny apartments. With so. like many people. Yeah. So mm-hmm. our standard of living It was, was fresh low. and low. <laughs> Yeah. Moving into a duplex was like, oh my God. We, well, we have... moved into a two-bedroom first and it was like, whoa. So much space. And this is <laughs> all ours. I don't have to this with 10 people. I don't, there's not parties every weekend that I have to clean up after. This is like, we're living the lap of luxury. Yeah. And it, it was like a very dated apartment. The, well, actually, the looking back now, the cabinets were green. They were old <laughs> cabinets that he painted green. Yes. It's very trendy right now. Little did Very trendy. Um, you know, just like old appliances. Laminate like flooring. Laminate flooring. Kitchen, like really yeah, like, like stingy, dirty carpet. Yeah. Not like the pretty laminate that people use nowadays. No, like, like the scary. The, the college the version. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The tub had like, I guess there were cracks and dings into it. So he, what like material? It was just like slapped in like epoxy that wasn't smoothed out at just all. Just like lumps. It was oh. Yeah. yeah. How to not epoxy your own bathtub. <laughs> yeah. But we got a two bedroom in a great part of town for under a thousand dollars, which is like unheard of in this neighborhood. So I was yeah. like, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So from there you moved, you bought your first duplex. Did you put a lot of offers in? Did you look for a lot of properties? I want to say it was our second one, I think. No, we put a I don't, okay. I don't really know how many offers we put in, but we did put an offer in prior yeah. on a different property and it got accepted mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. we, they sent us over the offer agreement. We signed it, we sent it back and then nothing. They never oh. signed it on their end. Days turned into a week. And then we finally heard back from them. And basically what they did, which this is very unethical, not illegal, but right. they went through attorney review with another offer and just kept us on the back burner in case it didn't go through. And then once attorney review was over, then they came to us and said, oh, sorry, we're not going to sign it. We, we took another offer. So it was so exciting and then yeah. so devastating. I'd be devastated because I'm the least patient person ever. So to not hear back for so long, I would kind of lose my mind. So. Well, and it took, it took a lot like like Lauren always says we had analysis paralysis for a long time it took a lot to even get to that point right that's a really big deal like you made the step that like most investors don't make and then you're just like waiting and then it's funny years later so this was 2016 2015 2015 I think and just like a month ago I'm on Instagram and I'm watching Mm -hmm. somebody's story someone we know in the area and I'm watching and she did like oh like we're filling a vacancy let's do before and after of the unit and it's the damn property (laughs) fortunately I'm friendly with her now and I and I that's hilarious and I was like oh my god you were the other woman or the (laughs) she was the other woman oh my god that's funny so kind of hopes and crushed on the first one, but then you got your duplex, which is awesome. And that really got you guys started, it sounds like. Definitely. And what I also say a lot too, is that in order to gain experience, you have to physically go through the action. And the first property, when we got the offer accepted, I cried because I was so scared. So no, I cried too, which is funny. Kyle's like, oh my gosh, you guys. <laughs> but no. <laughs> There's like a great picture where she's like crying and I'm just like laughing and like super excited. 
Um, but then when we went to, that's when, you off, know, you're like a very complimentary skills when one oh, of you is like the best day ever. And one of you is like, what have we done with our lives? <laughs> exactly. But then it was so helpful because when we went to go make offers after that, getting an offer accepted was now no big deal. Cause we experienced that already. Yeah. Now yeah. it was like the inspection. That was the next big deal. Mm-hmm. So while, yeah, it sucked. It gave me the experience, the emotional experience, you know? So I, Lesson, you know, I'm all about lessons or something I learned and we're good. I also remember that reminded me when you said inspections that like that was really daunting the first couple deals you do for some reason. And now I'm just so excited to get the inspection report back because I'm like, let me negotiate some stuff off this offer because I would like my price point to be lower. But in the beginning, you get back that like 50 page inspection report and you about also want to cry because you're like, everything's wrong with my house. (laughs) So for new people kind of listening how do you guys like, do you remember that process or having that? Do you guys have similar feelings or were you always, did you always well, love the inspection process? Now I love it because it's a mindset shift. It's a mindset and also it's negotiation point for yeah. money also. Yeah, so, it gives you leverage. Um, I don't know. At the beginning, it was like the, the HUD was as is, right? Wasn't well, it? yeah. So our duplex our was a HUD property. Our first property oh, nice. was a HUD property. So we, it was buying as is, no fixes. And we, I gotta say, we locked out because like we did a walkthrough, but we didn't know what we were looking for. We have no idea. Um, You're like, it looks fine. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure. So, and then normally when you buy something as is and you do an inspection, you could then renegotiate the purchase price. This was such a long process because it was basically a foreclosure that if we renegotiated, we probably would have just lost a deal. And I also don't even think I knew that you could renegotiate. Like I thought as is meant like you can't change anything. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point because I think I just figured out that as well is you can do an as is offer, but you can still negotiate and still do inspections and things, you know, they don't have to do it. So that's a very good point for new investors because I'm sure the as is word I feel like is scary to people starting out. I'm buying myself a heap of trouble. Like what is wrong with this house that they have to sell it as is? (laughs) Were you able to buy your duplex in a good area? You were like house hacking. Was it a better area than you could have afforded if you went to like single family home. Exactly. It just means that you will take the property in its current condition. It doesn't mean that you're going to pay what you originally agreed on. But again, it would sell probably for a lot more. Like if you ever like, I'm sick of rentals, I'm going to put it back as a one, a single family, you'd rip out both the kitchens. Mm-hmm. So you just like spent all this hard work on and probably sell it for more, which seems um, is it- I know like where my, so this is my first house hack. And I was like, I can shop in a whole different price point because I'm house hacking. And that was a really exciting revelation where you can like be in a more desirable part of the city or town or near amenities because you're running out like the other unit. And that was a big advantage where I'm like, if I was just like a single person, like buying this house for myself, it would be stupid to buy a house that costs this much. But because it's a duplex, I have options. We were, we were looking ideally downtown where we were renting. And then we kind of had the idea just to start like kind of concentric circles out and until we yeah. see something that makes sense, fits the, the numbers. Oh, yeah, that's still kind of interesting. A two bedroom for sale because they go significantly cheaper also. We walked through it trying to figure out where we could shove another bedroom. <laughs> that's where we came across this. It's essentially a, a light bike ride to the downtown. So it's still pretty close to our yeah. ideal location. But it's great because the value of the property is technically less than a single family. Yeah. And then obviously you're house hacking. So you have the other unit paying your mortgage. I mean, for example, the triplex we're sitting in right now, it's like over 3000 square feet. And if this was a single family home, we'd be almost double the price. Yeah, I would say easy. 
Yeah. Which is so funny because this house has three kitchens, you know, three yeah. of everything and it, it's not the same value. So it, it's so interesting how that works. And it's interesting to think about from like a building it standpoint, like, can you imagine like building out from the beginning, like three kitchens, three floors and like little strategy would be finding single family homes that were converted into two family homes are listed as two family homes. And then we just convert it back. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I like the two ways out of a deal, like thing that people talk about a lot on bigger pockets. That's been a big thing. I'm going back through all the bigger pockets episodes right now from the beginning and kind of re-listening in my spare time. So because I what found myself it? like watching way too many like cooking shows for some reason. I got very into that. So now I'm going back through bigger pockets because I figured that's a better use of my time. <laughs> what is that like now that you have the knowledge and experience? Like I almost feel like that's like watching a scary movie that you watched when you were younger because you probably didn't get yes. a lot. It's, it's exactly the scary movie thing is a very good analogy because I think it was it was like when you're really scared as a little kid and you're watching it later and you're like, this isn't a big deal because I came from Dave Ramsey. And so the first time I ever listened to bigger pockets, I honestly, this is terrible. I hated it. Like I was like, this is so scary. They're like, buy houses with no money down and like leverage everything you own. And like, oh yeah, I put my renovation on a credit card and I'm sitting there like crying. And then I was like, I can't listen to this anymore because these people scare the shit out of me. I need to like do something else. And so I found a couple other investors that were a little more conservative. And then after you get into it, now I'm listening and I'm like, oh, these people's strategies make a lot of sense and mm-hmm. it's not scary at all. And it's like, would I do that? Probably not. But it's so interesting to see like how everyone structures deals differently. And so I'm really getting into it because I'm like, before I was just very nervous about real estate. Now I'm like, sure. I mean, he got his credit card paid off and he had a plan. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, our first deal was with our own savings and it was a house hack, which I feel like is a lot less daunting than it. A project by itself mm-hmm. um, because we were going to be moving into a house anyway. I felt like it was lower risk. It was definitely lower risk. To be and landlords, you're living upstairs from your tenant. I mean, right. You don't have like a long commute to get to your tenants or anything, <laughs> just down the hall or down the around the corner. And then, so you guys are like one of the few people that I started following probably in the beginning that wasn't originally a Dave Ramsey person, which I find really interesting because now I follow a million real estate accounts. Did you guys ever, are you guys familiar with Dave Ramsey? Have you ever done that on the personal side? Kind of what's your relationship with debt in, I guess, in business and in real life? <laughs> so it's interesting because I almost, I think I want to say you're probably one of the first personal finance Dave Ramsey people we've ever followed too. So well, I'm like dabbling in both. Yeah. I'm like either annoying the real estate people because I'm too conservative and I talk about how you shouldn't have car loans or I'm like terrifying the Dave Ramsey people by having like $400,000 in mortgages. (laughs) Well, coming into this, so I wouldn't say, so we came into this and I'll be honest, we still do have consumer debt. Like personally coming into like our marriage, Kyle had a lot of like credit card debt. I had student loans. Student loan debt. I had student loans and, and a truck. Yeah. And then so I like had the very normal, like person leaving college pretty much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then I had, I, Actually, I had a paid off car and student loans, but I also had a lot of cash. So I could have paid it all off, but I just felt like, or we could buy a house that we house hack, which puts us in a better financial situation, which I could then pay off these um, loans and these payments each month. So it's funny because we definitely started not super like personal finance savvy, but now I'm kind of looking back and I'm like, I'll be honest, I look at you like last year and I'm like, she just bought a freaking another house. 
I'm like, how'd she do that? It's like, she just made the 20%. She just bought another house. I'm like, cause she has no debt. She has no payments. Like I don't have any payments. Yeah. I, you know, like you, you're a high income earner and you have no debt. Those are two perfect things to make great, um, choices for real estate investing. So now I do kind of feel like we are kind of like dragging this anchor anchor with us as we're investing. And within the next year, we're really focusing on like paying off our student loans. We've taken like chunks of time, like six yeah. months and been like, let's just throw money at this one debt. Yeah. Then- it's so hard to slow down in real estate though. And I feel like you almost need to, to like decide to take care of the personal stuff. And I feel like that's so hard for real estate people when you're in deep to say, I'm going to pause for a minute and pay down some stuff. It's hard. But if you so. think about it, if you pause for six months to a year, yeah, pay time. off, I know, but pay off everything. Yeah. Then when you get, jump back into it, you could probably scale at a much faster rate. And it just streamlines your personal finances. Like if you get that automated, it gets, it's so easy on the personal side where I'm like, I know my big thing was I wanted like my footprint I live on to be like little because then I needed less houses to like pay for my lifestyle. Like if I can like hack my mortgage expenses, like you guys are already doing, but then like getting the outgo less. So I'm like, Oh, look at this tiny pool of money I take to live off of now. And I was kind of like a pride point. I'm still very spendy in other ways. I just don't carry consistent, except for now, because this house hack has like stolen my soul and made me get into debt. So Kyle feel better. I have, I don't think I've told anyone this, but I totally have like four grand of remodel on a credit card I'll right now. Like, I got like $150. Four grand is okay. You got, you're good. I'm no, sure. but it kills you because I'm like the anti-credit card person. Then I'm like, my life is on fire right now. I guess we're going for it because you're kind of in deep at this point. So. It's crazy how fast it is. But let me guess, is it on a 0% interest credit card? Yeah. So there is a promotion happening where I could do like a, I'm on a zero interest for a year. Yeah. And so if I'm like, if I don't have my shit together in a year, I'm going to have like a come to Jesus with myself because I can't have credit card debt, like accruing interest. I think if you have a plan, you're okay. Yeah. It was really scary though. And it's very hard to admit because I was like, I don't understand how all these people in bigger pockets are just like, oh, I was running out of money. So I like left, like used all of my like lines of credit I had available. And those were credit cards. But when you're like, okay, I really like a thousand and 10% believe in real estate. And I know it's the way to go. And like so many people build wealth this way. And I've really gone off the deep end now. You. <laughs> so. that, that happened with us with our first house hack. We like, we barely had a scope of work. We didn't write, I, it was in my head. It wasn't written down anywhere. We had a soft idea of what our budget was going to be. We had a soft idea of what we were going to appraise at for the refi. And uh, we went over budget. It was a lot of luck. <laughs> it was definitely a lock in that, yeah, in that realm. I still feel like I'm pretty bad at doing the scope of work part and the remodel budget part. I just, I always am like, oh, it'll be six grand. And then I'm like, oh, actually it was more like 13. The only <laughs> so. thing that keeps us on track is the fact that Lauren started documenting every single thing. Cause we use the same materials now, the same appliances, everything is the same. Yeah. So that's super, super yeah. helpful when we're getting it gets, that does really help, especially when you're like, this is how much I know a bathroom costs. I haven't done kitchens yet, but bathrooms, I'm like, I can tell you exactly like 10 bucks, how much a bathroom would cost to put in because I'm like, I buy the $92 toilet at Menards and then you get like this and this shower surround at Home Depot. And so, you know, same thing. We can probably give you like within like $500, how much the entire project is going to cost. But now we're venturing into where our next properties, we really want to pull ourselves out and we want to hire out contractors. 
That was my, literally my next question. You read my mind. I was like looking at Kyle being like, Mr. Handyman, how are you doing over there? With well, it's, it's hilarious because now it's like, you can give ourselves a budget. I would say even closer than $500. Right. Uh, without any emergent, you know, things happening during renovation. But I used to, we, well, I'm now annoying. Like I bring my tape measure to every walkthrough and I'm measuring square footage of every single room you know, taking count of all the windows, every fixture, ceiling fans, down to switches and receptacles. Now I'm handing it off to somebody else. Yeah, so it's like we, we <laughs> came up with this like well-oiled machine. Like I have like a whole thing in Airtable. So when we walk a property, I could just type in like five ceiling fans and it automatically tells me what how much yeah. money we need. And now we have to kind of learn all over again because we don't really know labor. Exactly. Start to get those systems and it helps. We get a lot of people who will DM us or ask us like, how do you guys estimate a rehab? And I'm like, I know this is not the answer you want. Well, you, you know, first I say, read Jay Scott's book. Here's a YouTube video. Right. But the best way to do it is you unfortunately have to go through one project, yeah. see what everything costs, and then you could look back and go, okay, here's what we spent on this. Here's what we spent on that. And so it's that we're now at the point where kind of like you, if we're doing the renovations ourselves and then subbing out like the main trades, plumbing, electric, HVAC, roof. Yeah. And that is so this is my first project that i've like partially sourced out and i went through like two drywall people and it's a pain and you are like oh well i've had to pay so much to this guy but it's kind of terrible so now i need to pay another guy to fix this drywall kind of spirals a little bit because you're so used to having like control over certain things but also it's really nice to not work every single day down there to like be up in my office and i can hear them like working and now yeah. i yeah. don't have to like rush down there and do anything at this property, we had the electrician that we had. Uh, That's awesome. Using moving forward. So I think it's going to work out. I think so too. <laughs> so you're trying to work not in the business, that you're kind of transitioning out or trying to. Yeah, because right now we're steady at one property uh, a year, essentially. I mean, our, re our refund, yeah, because it's like the seven or eight month mark usually. Yeah. Um, so we've been steady at a property a year. So we'd like to double or mm -hmm. possibly triple that. I would say yeah. and during COVID, I know a lot of horrible things are happening, but it really allowed me the time and us the time to sit down and really focus on what are we doing? And so we read the book Traction and then have also mm -hmm. just been like networking and taking a lot of like educational courses and talking with other investors. And we're like, okay, where do we want to be in 10 years? And then we need to reverse engineer that and figure out what do we need to do today, tomorrow, the next 60 days, 90 days, a year to get there. And we realized that what we're doing now is not going to get us to our end goal, which was a little overwhelming and scary at first because what we do now is comfortable, right? Like, yeah. you know what we're doing, it's nothing scary for the most part. We're having fun. Right. I love like doing this stuff. What's your like dream portfolio, I guess, look like? So our dream portfolio generates $20,000 a month in passive income. So that's mm -hmm. after all fixed expenses. And then assuming we have a nice chunky reserve fund, um, you know, we don't necessarily have to like set aside right. reserve money each month either. Um, and we are, we have a house on the bay down at the Jersey shore. We have nice. a big yacht that we take down up and down the coast for multiple months at a time. We're not working W2 jobs full time. We have kids and we are we're just not like managing the properties anymore. Oh yeah. At that yeah. point, we're not going to be managing. I do mm -hmm. want to hold on to it for at least up until I'm thinking like 15, 20 units, maybe 30. Just yeah. because when we buy houses, we take care of all the capital expenditures. So we have new toilets, new hot water tanks, new appliances. Right. 
And so there shouldn't be any major repairs within the first couple years. I'm not doing these kind of renovations so I could pay a property manager to then do nothing. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, and like, we, oh, we went like three years of property management and nothing broke. Yeah. And like we screen our tenants really well. And granted, this might be naive in five years. I might be like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. But <laughs> well, we don't have a turnover. We spend maybe an hour a month managing our units, which is very feasible. Yes, and that's I mean, with me, maybe. like not really having a lot of systems in place. I mean, you know, we, we use Cozy, we use Sessa, we do have some things in place, but mm -hmm. I know there's a way that I could better optimize it to cost even less or, you know, take even less time. So I'm, I'm feeling like I can do it for a little while longer. We also have similar boating goals. I would love that. We've talked about this before where you guys like are like you scuba dive also, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. I remember this because I love scuba diving. I've only gone a couple times and I really want to go again. So someday we're going to do like a fancy meetup and go really? scuba diving. We talked about this, like setting up yes. like one down in the keys or something. There's surprisingly a lot of investors that scuba dive. Yes. I'm not surprised because I feel like it's like a little adventurous and I feel like you have to be like mildly adrenaline seeking <laughs> to constantly rip apart houses and hope for the best. <laughs> so we'll maybe boat together, end up in the Keys, but I would a thousand percent do that meetup. I'm down. I'll plan it. Don't say it. Lauren's going to be like online. <laughs> <Fine>. No, <laughs> I would go. Please go online and plan it. I will come. I'll RSVP yes now. <laughs> and if we free plan real estate conversations prior to, then it's a tax write-off. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I'm sure we would do anyway, because you can't put like a room of real estate people together and be like, don't talk about real estate. It just wouldn't happen. I know. Well, Kyle and I were talking about this. So we used to, I would say this is, so we've been investing for like three or four years now. Mm -hmm. This is the first year we've ever written off a meal. We'll I, I have like hardly ever written out me written off meals. I think I wrote off pizza once and I'm like, but we're like literally at the house renovating all the time. Like, could I be writing that off? Right. But we talk real estate every time we go to eat obviously we don't write off every single thing but right. like when we go to look at a new property or we do make a special trip down to a property and then we go get lunch and we're talking about how much we make to offer or whatever we do it and it's funny because we just never did i just felt like exactly what you're saying we right. order lunch every day yeah. i'm not going to write off pizza every day for six months while we're renovating yeah, we're right. like an hour from here so i take him out for lunch right. when he comes down yeah. So interesting. Oh, and you said you use Tessa for your bookkeeping, I'm guessing. Yes. Okay. So I, this is on my list of things to do. Tell me what you like about it. Don't like, have you tried other things? Okay. Yes. So the other thing that I've tried was on our first property. I am not kidding you. I sat down, I entered in every single receipt, mm -hmm. what was bought, how much we paid the date. And then I would like group it per projects. So like this was a bathroom thing. This was a whatever. Oh, wow. Look at Holy you. Cow. And, and what's like funny about that is on our first property, we were not efficient in our purchasing. We mm -hmm. went to Home Depot probably every day, if not two, three, four times a day, there was no yeah. bulk ordering. That was that no scope of work. Uh, yeah. Issue. Yeah. Um, so I obviously don't do that anymore. So we use Sessa. We have a separate business credit card. Um, it's one account. Kyle has a card. I yeah. have a card yeah. and then everything hooks up to Sessa and it all pre-populates. And then all I do is once, once a month I go through and I just assign which unit each transaction goes to. And that's it. I, as of right now, loving it. I haven't gone through tax season with it yet. So I haven't done my taxes with it. So I'm not sure how like the reports are and everything. But, but when we met with our accountant, he, yeah. he, that is how he suggested we 
kind of set everything up. Yeah, he gave us like the categories that we should be sourcing them into. So I think we're going to be okay. And then it has really good like data stuff. It tells you um, like what your portfolio value is, what, you know, so it, it, it gives you some good vanity numbers. The model investor, um, Kata, she uses it too, and she highly recommended it. And I was like, I really need to do something else besides Excel. Can anyone help me out? And that's what she was saying she loves. So you're my second one that's a big fan because Excel and me, like I still go through and like manually do bookkeeping. I do have to go in and enter in the checks. Like if we handwrite a track, check, I have to like add it, add all the details. I'll do that. That's significantly less work than how you were doing it before though. I will say though, using Stessa, because the Home Depot receipts are now not like sitting in front of me, I don't enter the contest anymore. Uh, (laughs) I was really bad. I used, so we have Menards. I don't think you guys have it on the East coast, but they do like rebates and I still like religiously collect those. So you get like 11% back if you mail them in, which is really good. So when I buy like hundreds of dollars in paint, my so rebates are pretty good. If you shop at Home Depot and there is a Menards within a certain radius of that Home Depot, you could also get the rebate, but we don't have one near us at all. So. Oh, interesting. I knew Lowe's did that for a little while, but I think they stopped. So it seems like Home Depot has been really good on their coupon game lately. And like, they'll do like receipt adjustments too. If you feel like you overspent on something, which is pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, will give you like good deals. I feel like we haven't gotten a coupon in a while. Yeah, it's been a little while. I think because of COVID, it's like I'm a little they like don't have any. <laughs> I like coupons. It's ridiculous. I I don't like buying them on eBay when they're only a dollar or something, but <laughs> it helps. I don't know if you've ever done that where you get on eBay and you like you can find like the ten or twenty percent off coupons, and if you have to do big purchases, yes, I'm that. Stand in line <laughs> on the phone with Lauren. I'm like, do you have the coupon yet? She's like. <laughs> Hold on, it's still emailing. It's not at the store with me. There's like people behind me looking at me. And you're like, don't don't worry, I have to have my coupon. Like, I'm gonna wait for this to come in. It saves you so much money though, especially like when you're very start when you're starting out. Oh, I forgot to ask you too. So, are you guys team like? Do you want a lot of houses all leveraged, or do you want like a few and pay them all off? Can we have just we- pick the middle? <laughs> yes, so you can totally I, pick I'm the middle. Asking, all right, but how much do you cash flow? Yeah. My question constantly because a lot of people be like, oh yeah, I got ten. Yeah, well, what are you cash flowing? My opinion, I think I hate cash on cash return. Like it doesn't mean anything to me. I'm like, how much money do you clear after all your stuff at the end of every month? Your cash flow. Like I just want to know. And you better factor out all the stuff or that doesn't count. (laughs) And then also like when we originally started out, our goal was 32 units. And now I think if we did, you know, the math for 20,000 a month, it's like 50 something, you know, depending 45 to 50 something units. And then we started realizing like, okay, but our goal shouldn't be a unit count because then we're just going to get the unit regardless of how well it returns or how much cash flow we have. So now that's how we switched it over to a cash flow goal. So I would say- Probably in the, for the next five years, we're going to be leveraging our properties and trying to amass them. But then I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to realize, hey, if we just paid a handful of these off, we're going to reach our goal and we don't have to buy anymore. Yeah. And especially as someone who's property managing. Less sounds property. better to you if you're going to self-manage for a while because you're like, oh, that if I suddenly am not sending the mortgage this money every month, I'm sending it to myself. That sounds like a lot less work. (laughs) And then what kind of blew my mind is, and I know you're good friends with them, uh, when the Stealthy Rich posted about their 15-year mortgage, 15-property refinance strategy. Yes. 
wow, this is mind blowing. That blows my mind as well. Yeah. Because I never use 15 year mortgages, but it's interesting to see how they've structured some of their portfolio to work that way. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. So I don't want to say we're actively doing this, but so we have everything on 30 year loans because we, it cash flows better. We are right. paying down the principal a little bit more each month, but I think we might get to a point where we like refinance them into 15 year notes or maybe when we refinance them down the line, setting up that cycle. Cause I think that's so smart. Right. I, I love a 30 year because I think it cash flows. And I think like in the case of an emergency, it's like where you want to be because it's like, that's like your security blanket, which is weird because like Dave Ramsey's like 15 year mortgages only. I'm like, but it's a risk thing. Like if you're like your husband loses his job and then you're like stuck without any income, the 30 year is so much safer. So there's always that dilemma. And then I have one 15 year and it just crushes all your cash flow. And so I, that kind of drove me nuts. That was like our first one ever. And so when we did our portfolio loan, we put it on a 20. Because I was like, oh, look at that. We're like in the happy medium of paying it off sooner than 30 years. But then the 15, you didn't quite have the blow of the 15 year. Yeah, you payment. could. I, and I always suggest if, if people want to do that, get the 30 year and pay it like it's a 15 year. Yeah. And then emergency, you can cut it back. So. Exactly. And having the 30 year helps your DTI. So if you are trying to yes. get for future properties, mm-hmm. it helps there. That is a really good point. I don't hear a lot of people talk about, and honestly, I haven't thought about it much because I'm just like debating in my head, like the risk level and things, but helping out your debt to income. If you are trying to get to like the 10 conventional mortgages, that's a really big thing. Mm-hmm. So I talk to some people who like don't fully report all of their rent rental income mm-hmm. and obviously I see the benefits of that. But then when you go to qualify for mortgages, you don't have that income. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like you're kind of screwing yourself down the line. Yeah. And plus that would like make me not sleep at night. Can't do it. Oh my God. Agreed. Yeah. I don't, I follow the rules like that. makes me nervous. Yeah. I think one of the scariest things to me, and I I still need to figure out what I want to do with this information is we have this portfolio loan or I have this portfolio loan and it doesn't show up if you pull my credit because the bank holds it in house. And so if I ever get another loan, I'm like, do I tell them I have this like $280,000 portfolio loan? Or do I just like not say anything? Because my debt to income looks phenomenal because I don't like have anything in my name right now. I know, but I'm like, you feel so uncomfortable, but I think that's kind of the point in doing that. That's been an interesting creature to think about. But again, it's like that personal thing where you're like, do I bother writing down? I have three mortgages. Here's the payment. Here's my rental income. Or do you just say, I know I'm cash flowing over there. I'm not going to tell them about it. <laughs> right. They didn't ask me. So I learned that from the stealthy rich also. So they have lots of good things over there. Uh, their refi plan is fascinating. So I guess for people that don't know, they are like paying off, like they'll pay off their 15 years and then refinance and then use that money to like keep growing their portfolio. I don't know if you have you gone any deeper into their plan besides that or how they're recycling money. That's basically the same understanding I have to it, but you yeah. know, in, in the short of it, you buy 15, you buy one property a year for 15 years and they're on 15 year notes. So each year, one of them comes due. Right. And then if you didn't want to grow your portfolio, you could refinance. And then let's say it's a hundred and I can't do simple math. Let's right. say it's a hundred thousand <laughs> okay, property. Yeah. You cash out $80,000. Well, now yeah. $80,000 can be your salary or your income Tax-free. for that year and it's tax-free. Yeah. Wow. So that's a really good example. 
So I find that fascinating. I'm also really bad at mental math, which is funny because I'm like a numbers and spreadsheet person, but I like live or die by my spreadsheets. Like don't make me do mental math. <laughs> so people are like, oh, what are deal? Like what do your numbers look like? I'm like, I don't know. Let me pull that up really quick. So you guys are renovating your units. I think that's an interesting strategy because you do all of your big CapEx things up front. And so I think I really like that strategy and started kind of doing the same thing with rentals because I would I tend to shop Facebook marketplace for appliances. And then at one point I was like, I just need to start either doing scratch and dent or new appliances because I don't want to have the big expenses. And I like that strategy a lot. Did you guys just figure that out on your own or have you seen other investors kind of doing that? Well, I've just heard the horror stories of the plumbing backing up or the roof leaking. And we just decided we didn't want to, because we self-managed deal with that. So while the house is gutted and there's no tenants in there, we don't have to displace one if something goes wrong. This was all Kyle when we were renovating. So he obviously has the renovating experience. I do not. So when we were doing our first house, I was, I'm not going to lie, like being cheap. Yeah. Like I was like, why do we need to do that? It's fine. Why are you fixing it? And right. he was like, Lord, like you're, we're the ones that are going to have to come fix it later. Do you want that phone call? Like we could just do it now. It's got to get fixed at some point. We do it now or do it later. And then you brought up a good point. We were talking about like water in the basement. We live, all yeah. the properties are in a high water table area, not flood zones, but all of our basements yeah. have sub pumps. And his thought process was, okay, we could either put in a new sub pump now and waterproof the basement or we could wait till there's a big rainstorm, our <laughs> tenants' belongings get soaked, their grandfather's World War II relics get damaged. Now yeah. we feel bad, we've displaced a person, ruined all their items, and we, and we had to spend exactly what we would have spent, you know, last month. I was like, yeah. And the little moisture coming in in 15, 20 years, where because these are long-term investments for us, now becomes a mold problem. Right. And, right. and got bigger issues, so... So he, he convinced me. I was like, as someone who's had a sump pump break and a basement actually fill with water, I really appreciate that you guys are doing that to your properties because it was a huge pain in the ass and you just have to get over there really quick. And it's gross to pump out everything. And then we actually had to get our furnace repaired and our water heater replaced because it just fried everything because everything's in water. Yeah, and I will say that a really, really old, like 500 year old sump pump broke and we should have just replaced it. I was going to say the, uh, so for the appraisal, the appraiser that the bank sent out when I told her about all the stuff that we did waterproofing wise, mm -hmm. she loved it. They loved it. Yeah. I definitely think so. I'm not an appraisal expert, but basically they rate your property. It's like C1, C2, C3, C4, I think. Mm -hmm. And depending on how old your um, mechanics are that can help distinguish what rating you get. And that's the rating that like really bumps up your value. So if you're doing the burr method, you know, you do new paint, do new cabinets, do new flooring, and then you have an old roof, old hot water heater yeah. and old appliances, yeah. you might not get the value that you think you were going to get. Yeah. That's really, is that, I think that's like New Jersey specific with the letters, but I'm guessing it would still apply to like any appraisal process is they're obviously going to care about the big ticket items and then lasting when you're trying to decide like value of a home. Yeah. yeah. So now we just take that appraisal report and all those line items that we saw added value. That's where we focus most of our budget. Definitely. It's like, it's again, you could reverse engineer the appraisal report. So especially when we're going to look at new houses, we're like, Ooh, this one's an end. So some of our properties are row homes. We're like, Oh, this one's an end unit. That's values at $3,000 more. Ooh, it has an enclosed front porch. So that's $2,000. Ooh, central air. That's $6,000. So we kind of just like know all these numbers. So it helps us 
it makes us more educated when we're putting in offers and yeah. then exactly what Kyle said helps us determine what renovations we're going to do and which ones we want. Like if there's a crappy little shed out back, usually I would tear it down, but that's a line item. And so is a <laughs> tiny little deck and a fenced in backyard, a fenced in backyard. And it's like, all right, well, they don't say it's got to be a nice fence. It just has to be fenced in. So yeah. we put a chain link up and get the same price as if we put some really expensive vinyl up. So and so with your rentals, do you do anything specific with the backyards or are you fencing in all your yards or do you have a process now that you kind of go through? We haven't bought yeah. one that's not fenced in. That's nice. Yeah, they've all been fenced in. But um, one of them, the fencing was poor, so we did replace it. And mm -hmm. originally we were going to do like a cute vinyl privacy fence. Yeah. And we went to Home Depot, pulled all the material out, went to go pay. No, we paid for it. We pay for it. And we were like, you know what? I was like, this is why are we spending this Screw much money? This. Nobody. Yeah. And also know your area, right? If you're in a nicer area and everyone has vinyl fencing, yes, right. you're not, you shouldn't put up a chain link fence, but we are in an area where a chain link fence is the standard. Yeah. So yeah. why are we going to go above and beyond when the line item just says fenced in yard? Yeah. yeah. It's about finding like that medium between renovating for the renters that you want and also being smart. Yeah. Yeah. So doing like, because you guys do really nice finishes in your houses, all your houses, but again, like the chain link fence versus the vinyl fence, they probably wouldn't notice any different. So how have you guys bought your property so far? So did you do a conventional mortgage for your first or was that like an FHA or how are you guys? We've been all over the place. Yeah, we've done it. <laughs> Walk me through how you're paying for your deals and how you're like saving up money to do the renovations and that kind of thing. So the very first deal was a conventional mortgage. Mm -hmm. Saved up from probably my baptism. Yeah, like I was going to say, you are a saver, so that helped. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. My communion money was probably in that savings account. And that's what funded the down payment, the majority of the renovations. And then we did use a 0% credit card that mm -hmm. we knew we were going to be able to pay off because we were going to refinance afterwards. Then property number two, we did a conventional again because it wasn't a house hack. This was a straight investment property. And to be completely transparent, it was our wedding money. So we had gotten married a couple months before. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, all of our and guests. Very little but so many people would have blown that on like a honeymoon, like all their wedding money. Yeah. So we turned it into the gift that keeps on giving every month. Yeah. Exactly. We're like every year you can thank all your party guests. Exactly. <laughs> Just send thank you cards every year. <laughs> Look how cute our house is. You're welcome. <laughs> and then the third property we bought in all cash. Awesome. Um, and that we, we got the cash from a private lender, which was basically our family. And that was our first foray into private money. Yes. Which, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, which was great because we knew that that was the avenue we are going to want to take. So for it to be family money, that stress was a little less, I would say, but it was still there because it wasn't our money. We didn't want to lose it. Definitely. And that kind of is going back to the mindset of what we talked about, the inspections and making an offer. The first time we did private money, I felt like we were begging my family to help us. Yeah. And now we're in the mindset of, no, we're providing an investment opportunity for people who have a different risk tolerance or maybe don't want their money in the stock market, especially right now. Right. So that's what I'm currently doing. So I talked to you guys a lot when I did my house hack because I private money lendered that, I guess that's, that's not really a <laughs> an adjective or whatever. not really a verb private money lendered um but you it's daunting to ask family members like did you how long did it take you to get up the courage to ask because it's really scary so because we had refied the duplex our first property and they had seen a success they were a little bit more on board with 
lending money because they had already seen us successfully do one. Yeah. Um, so they knew that you were little... doing like the burr strategy and they saw it work. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Do they follow you on Instagram or you just talk to them about it? No, they do follow us on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's like the best way to go though. Well, it's a nice visual portfolio or a resume. You know, we've been it getting lots of people reaching out to us that we only know via Instagram expressing interest and in wanting to be private lenders. And we're kind of like creating that track record, which is nice. So, and also we are public facing. If we were shady people, we wouldn't be putting this out there to the public for people to see. So I think that also offers a little bit of comfortability. And we've got, we got a lot better up to that point, it being our third property, like we were talking about doing the scope of work, renovation time. We were more confident. Budget. We were a lot more confident in talking to them about what we were planning on doing, where their money was going. The timeline. The timeline. And we knew that we could make the timeline. It was, it was a lot, you know, I was a lot more confident in yeah. it than I would have been it being the first property. Yeah. I'm really glad I didn't do it the first few properties because you're learning so many things. Like, I feel like I'm still like- Absolutely like stumbling my way through this one right now, but you learn every day. Exactly. <laughs> so, and because but, of how, how successful that burr was. Yeah, um, yeah. We were able to use that extra money to purchase the down payment for this. Uh, for this property. house, yeah. So property four, the, we did- Because you had a perfect burr, right? That your numbers were like, you got all your money back out. Yes. Yeah, so. we got all of our money back out plus some. That's awesome. So yeah. for people that are kind of listening, um, you got all your investors' money back. And then you also got your own money back that you spent to do the remodel. Did you, did you use the private money lender to pay for the remodeling piece too, or did you use your own? So we, we had two private lenders. One person paid for the purchase price, which is $25,000. Yes. And then the other person gave us 40. No, no, no. They gave us 30, 35. Yeah, and then 35. we put in five of our yeah, own. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so we were able to pay back our lenders, pay back ourselves for what we put in and then profit on top of that. Um, and we probably could have taken out even more, but I didn't want to over leverage ourselves and then neg continue negatively affecting the cash flow. So we only pulled out like 74% instead of 80, which our bank approved us for. Yes. And for people that are wondering too, because I structured mine pretty similar to you guys. Um, we brought them both up. We were, I think we both wrote up ours as promissory notes. So if people are sitting there being like, how do I even put together paperwork for this? You can Google just like promissory notes online and you can find all these different templates and documents because I think I originally picked your brain on yours and then I kind of want to see what other people had put together or you can even look it up on bigger pockets too if you're kind of interested in doing the same thing. But I think that way of structuring it made the most sense to me, kind of reading the paperwork because I mean, all the terms are negotiable, which is really intimidating, but the paperwork made it feel like I was doing the right thing and this is a business transaction, even though you knew the people personally that, you know, when I came with all my spreadsheets and stuff, I just wanted to feel very legit and be like, this is a business deal. It's not because you're like lending me money on the side just because you like me. So yeah. And if I want to make anybody money, I'd love, I'd want to be the people that I love and care about. So Yeah. And it's been really interesting too, because I think and from kind of being like a little bit of a, like, it almost felt like a little bit of a favor to them being like, holy smokes, we're doing really well with our investment portfolio through coronavirus. And it's probably because we tied up so much money at a fixed rate with you. And they literally like this person. So my lender sat down with their financial advisor like last week and they're like, we're doing so well right now because we pulled our money out at a good time. And it's now in this like fixed rate situation. And are their portfolios feeling really well because they have like some side money tied to a set 
account, which is a nice feeling to be like, oh, the financial advisor is happy. I'm doing something right. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of neat to see where you guys are at. And how did you guys decide on terms? Did you kind of, did you talk to other people? Did you, that was the hard part is figuring out interest rates and if you want to do interest only and that kind of stuff. So we talked to a few people yeah. and then because it was family so it was my it was my parents and then my brother mm-hmm. and we were actually going to pay my brother more like a higher interest rate and my dad kind of bullied him into <laughs> doing it for less he was like this is your sister <laughs> um, what was do you care if like do you ever talk interest rates or tell people that? i will talk numbers on anything so okay i'm gonna um, say i have no qualms but i don't want to be like how much did your dad you charge your dad no so my dad was the sweetest gentleman and charged us zero percent that's amazing you know, we had discussed i think we were gonna we or- were gonna do like three and yeah. he was like just make it zero buy me dinner so we just <laughs> buy them dinner a lot yeah. and then my brother was 3.5 that's um, awesome. My dad was even like 3.5. Michael, why are you doing that to your sister? <laughs> but look, but that was. Where did he, did he start higher than 3.5 originally? I think we were going to do like four or five. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad wanted him to do two and we leveled Split the, the difference. And, um, but now I, I do want this to be a benefit. So my brother, right. has interest, he wants to keep lending with us. And I do want this to be a beneficial experience for him. So now we're talking more at like the 7% mark. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm mine's at like four or five percent. Yeah. I honestly can't remember. I can calculate it back out, but we did interest only payments, and um, that still helped them because coronavirus has been crazy. But I'm like, I understand like this is an exception year. This is a weird year, and at some point, like if we ever do this again, I'm gonna need to do a better interest rate for them than four percent. But they're happy. I'm happy. It's a really like stupidly low rate, and I'm very happy with like how everything progressed. But well, it's we whatever, were similarly low. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever makes a win-win. If if the person you're lending from is a low-risk person and just has their money in a high-yield savings account, 4% is amazing for them. Yeah. If right. they're financially savvy and understand um, the stock market and other types of investments, yeah, 4% might be low. But I think it just depends and you just find those people. Yeah. And especially finding people, I think like later in their career, because yeah, the stock market returns pretty solid returns. But if you're, you know, finding people that are retirement age, like parents or aunts and uncles and things like that, like they're probably not really heavy in stocks. They're probably kind of moving into bonds and then your returns are not this crazy, like 10%. And you're kind of talking to people looking for safer options and real estate is such a fixed, steady source of income. So and it's nice to be like, here's your tangible asset sitting here. You can go like drive by it, see how it is. You can walk through the basement if you want and see that I'm like tearing things apart. So, well, exactly. We had a, a, a more advanced experienced investor kind of give us the advice that as we grow our private lending resources, really try to make it an experience for them. Cause a lot of people invest in real estate because it's sexy and they get to say like their project, yeah. their real estate. Yeah. You know, they said, you know, every week, email them pictures, let them feel involved. You know, obviously mm-hmm. you're the one making the decisions, but the more that you make them feel like they're a part of it, the better experience they're going to have. Yeah. That's really interesting. And then the other thing is to like know your audience too, because like the, my private money lender, it's obviously it's a married couple. And so I'm like, one of them wants to know everything and one of them doesn't. And that's been really interesting. You're like, you want to see this? No, I'm good. I want to see the end result when it's all put back together. I don't want to see you tearing down the ceiling. I want to see (laughs) the money come into my account each month. (laughs) Exactly. So that's been funny too. So like knowing your investors, but I think 
for the people that want to see the process, Instagram helps so much because they can follow along with their little nest egg that they put out there, which is fun. So I think it helps kind of build that brand, which is something I haven't really thought about that makes sense though, is, you know, if people are like, know you online, it'd be interesting to be like, oh, I'm secretly investing, you know, in these people's portfolio, they're growing and people are following along on their project and want to know, you know, how I've helped. Buying something all cash is also extremely powerful. Like if I could continue doing that forever, that's amazing because you just feel so like you can offer so differently when you have an all cash offer. I thought at least going through the experience. So you can negotiate a little harder with that. Well, it also puts us in a different mindset again. So when we were first looking, you know, I don't want to say we're desperate, but we're like, we want the first property. We want the first property. Yeah. We want the second property. We want the second property. Now we're at the point where, yes, we're very eager to grow a portfolio. We're putting in global offers. If you don't accept it, that's fine. I'm going to go find another property. And that's been really empowering that we aren't at the whim of the seller. Right. Yeah. Because I think my first three houses, I made an offer and it was accepted. Like three out of three, you know what I mean? Like, you're just like, I want this house. I don't care. I'm not trying. And then people are like, oh, I make hundreds of offers. And I'm like, I'm either an idiot and I could have been buying them a lot cheaper or somehow this is like magically working out. I feel like it's the first one. (laughs) So I know that feeling as well, because yeah, you get, you get excited in the beginning you get very attached to houses and you try not to be, but, and the numbers are good, but could they have been better, I guess. And that's kind of where you are with your portfolio. It's really going after, you know, more specific with your criteria, I'm sure. Yeah. We want great deals now, not just good deals. Yeah. And I know I can get a great deal. So, you know, once you have the really great deal, you're like, okay, I need to do that again. Not just like these mediocre ones where like, I hit the numbers, but it wasn't anything special. So have you ever done, I guess you're kind of live in flipping ish. So you've done burrs for all of your other properties though, right? That's yeah, the House Act was like a they were living flip. Yeah, well, especially because yeah. you get to the point where you're like, okay, well, it's livable. We're not done yet, but we could definitely move in. And especially the first one we did. But then it's funny because you're so excited to move in, you're so excited to um, like call this place your home that you just never do the things that you need to finish until you go to move out. Yeah, yeah. I totally get you. It's like the last house you work on is yours. Mm-hmm. So. I think when you very first move in, you do a few things, like maybe paint a couple rooms, but then otherwise you just like keep walking down your hallway and you're like, that light switch is black. That's weird. (laughs) So crazy what you deem acceptable for yourself and then what you would deem acceptable for a tenant. I would never leave things a certain way if I knew somebody else is going to live there, but for some reason for us, it's fine. Yeah. For your tenants, what kind of market are you shopping in? Are you like, what class of property are you guys at? Um... Mostly here is like young professionals that like work in Philly mm-hmm. and um, the other market that we invest in is like a lot of blue collar mm-hmm. um, tradesmen. Yeah, basically. we very strategically invest in two areas. One, the price points are a little bit higher. Um, cash flow might be a little bit less, but it's a different client base. And then there's appreciation and like the net worth value is there. And then the other area, um, property values are a little bit lower, but that's where we're able to do the perfect burr. That's yes. where most of the cash flow is. And we feel like it's a good balance. How many properties are in the really good area and how many do you have over in the, I guess like. We're split two and two. Yeah. There but, you go. but the, but the unit. Yeah. So our single families are in the lower priced area and our multis are in the higher priced area, which I feel like in most cases it's usually switched. Yeah. So two properties in each, but two units in the lower price area and five in the higher price area. It's interesting because you probably needed to do the multi-unit in the high priced area to get in there. Single family here. 
Yeah. That's so interesting. Do you guys renovate your properties different or do you do the same level of renovations? It's so no, they're a little bit different. Uh, Some of the finishes. So like the countertops, at least um, in our young professional area, we're just keeping up with the market and how other people renovate. So around here is granite countertops or porch countertops where on the flip side, the other market, just the renovations that are out there, that's not what people are doing. So we do slab laminate there. Um, But same cabinets, same same flooring, same paint. The nice thing is like paint flooring and cabinets are all pretty universally priced. I find like now that this vinyl plank is a thing, I'm like, you can make beautiful floors for like a dollar a square, $2 a square foot. (laughs) So I would say it's really countertop. We use like three piece surrounds in the other where we'll tile surrounds here. Um, But like I said, it's just comparable to what's out there. Yeah. Stay at the top of the the rental. Have you... Do you, you guys probably pull your comps from like Reno meter and stuff. Like you have websites you could pull from and you're like, you have enough. I'm in like a very rural area. And so none of the big websites where it's like, Oh, pull your comps on here. Like, no, I have to pull my own from like Facebook marketplace. So you guys probably are in an area where it's pretty easy to pull comps. I'm guessing. We do. We'll ask our realtor and he'll pull past rentals that, you know, were filled. And then we also just have a really good, local meetup group where everyone's super generous with sharing the information. So someone will say, Hey, I just rented this unit. I got this much. And I'm like, well, did you have a dishwasher? Oh no, I didn't have a dishwasher. Okay. Hey, I just had an appraisal and this is what it came in at. And I'm like, Ooh, you had a patio. How much did they give you for the patio? You know? So like everyone's super generous, which has made our decisions a lot easier. Yeah. And are you doing, do you do the same color paint throughout too? That's another thing I'm learning. Everything's the Except same. Except the first, our first property was not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was different. yeah. But you try to be on. so fancy with the first one and you're like, wow, I just made everything really hard. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But yeah, but units two to seven are, everything is exactly the same. Yeah. Same appliances, yeah. same color, same flooring. The only differences are the bathroom vanities because it depends. Can we do, um, we never do double sinks, but you know, is it a 24 inch? Is it a 30 inch? Right. Is it a 34? And then, and also bathroom vanities randomly go on sale. And so I feel like it changes like what I buy because they run really good sales on vanities. It just. Habitat for Humanity has really awesome vanities. Yes. None of which have fit in any of our units yet because they're all like pretty big, but they're beautiful. They have a really great deals. Yeah. So we might alter design depending on a really good sale that we got. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys shop Habitat for Humanity quite a bit. You have a good one. We do have a good one. We have lots of them. Yeah. Um, a lot of so, building building material warehouses. Yeah, where our bathroom floor tile. tile is always Habitat for Humanity, and then with this unit we're currently working on now, we got like a nice white porcelain thirty four inch vanity top. So yes. we just built a ba- base for it. I really liked your bathroom vanity you built also because I'm like the porcelain top was gorgeous, like stuck to steel, but then you put in the handiwork to build the cabinet, so it looked great for your yeah, first vanity. Yeah. It did look really nice. I well, nice. he kind of like shot himself in the foot now because I'm like, I want this in every house moving forward. <laughs> I hope you create you saved all the measurements and you have the templates because especially whenever we have like our home home, which won't be for a while, but I'm like, I want that in there. <laughs> yes. He's like, I'm trying to exit being the handyman, so don't sign me up for vanities. That's how you can stay building. I love I love making them. So I just love making like projects like that. Well, that's the thing is like I know we're talking about scaling and removing ourselves from the renovation, but it's actually almost like 
been a smidge of a challenge to get Kyle on board with the idea because he just loves it so much. And it's, I would be honest, it's really hard to find people that will do work to like the standard that I'll do the work. So exactly. Really hard. I feel the struggle right now because like the amount of the things that I'm okay with right now is ridiculous compared to the last house I did. And so you're just figuring it out as you go. So I have yet to find a drywall guy, an electric guy that I love. So yeah. And then when you find a super, super good one, their labor rate is probably pretty high. I know. Yeah. And people said you can either have it like done well or cheap. You have to like pick your poison. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, I'm in the both category, so that's not going to work. I need to pick one. I'm hoping that we're getting to a happy medium downstairs, and I'm hoping that a dull finished paint will hide all the really bad drywall work happening in my ceiling. (laughs) Kind of give an idea. Do you guys keep a certain amount of cash reserves per property? Is there a certain, how do you guys set this for the business, and how do you decide what to save and all of that? Originally, when we analyze our cash flow because we do a majority of the capital expenditure renovations up front. We do set aside a little bit less for repairs and vacancy because we've done it all. Right. Um, So when we analyze, we use those percentages, but now on the back end, in terms of like reserves, Mm -hmm. we are really comfortable with 5,000 per unit. Mm -hmm. And then we're okay with taking all of the cash flow after the fixed expenses and putting them into a savings account to then go buy more property. Yeah. Um, but we basically, in terms of like our accounts, we have a, what I call rental rentals, rents and bills. And so uh-huh. that's all the rents come in and then like the repairs or like the monthly, monthly maintenance comes out of so like lawn care or like our mortgage payments, our utility bills. And then we have a renovation account. So anytime we buy a new property, this renovation account kind of transfers to that property. That's where um, the seed money for that property will go. And then once that's stabilized and finished and a tenant is placed, then we'll like move all of those transactions to the rental rent and bills account. I love like a well-oiled machine. Like once you get that down and you can just like watch all of your automatic payments kind of transfer, it's, it brings me a lot of joy to just have that go on its own. Exactly. You get the email. It's like your transfer has been initiated. I'm like, thank you. Yes. Thanks for reminding me. It's great. Um, did you guys have any impact from like COVID? on your rentals or your tenants all of our tenants kept their jobs the one that he may have lost his job but he got one right away right after that's awesome issues with payments our only holdup has been permits yeah and appliances and appliances yes yeah i was very surprised we have apparently people are having a hard time finding building materials around where we are also i don't know if you've had here now too and I swear the price of like pine trim has skyrocketed. I don't know if anyone's, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just went and bought trim last week and I'm like, I swear this should not have been like $300 for this trim. It should have been more like 150. And I, I'm guessing that's probably what it is because I'm like, I swear the last time I bought trim, it was not this costly. Yeah. Well, luckily we use now, we haven't had any shortage of it, but we use six and a half. We've with the old houses and how much baseboard has been up, all the walls are plaster. Yeah. So we just cover it all. So we started using six and a half inch tall base. Yeah. And then just loved how it looked. So it's MDF. So we haven't had a shortage of that. Yeah. Our cabinets were like a three month back order, yeah, which is terrible. very wow. And then, yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the appliances, not only were they hard to come by, but they also increased in price because I was actually just comparing what we paid last year. And like the fridge was like $150 more. The microwave was like $75 more. It's insane. Ugh. 
That's crazy. And that's a big upcharge for a microwave. Is there not a very expensive appliance? Like, come on, that's, (laughs) you can go to Walmart and buy a, like the really scary microwaves, like a (laughs) hundred dollars. But yeah, we haven't been impacted either. So that's been really nice. I had one tenant pay late, but I think she just was paying late because life happens. So nothing too crazy over here, but it's definitely made, have you guys changed anything you're doing in terms of like, I usually run myself really thin on cash. I just tend to throw it into rentals and I'm really bad at keeping cash reserves. I don't know if you guys have changed anything or like boosted up savings a bit more or done anything different after all of this. So we, the only thing and we did was the HELOC just as a security pad yes. in case, uh, anybody stopped paying. Um, it was, to be honest, when COVID first started to hit, really, we really started to see the effects of it. It was really scary because we didn't know if our tenants were going to lose their jobs or, and obviously we're going to help them and what that was going to look like. So I did get a little scared and I actually, um, I'm getting my master's and this past semester I had to do a final report on a, a paradox in my life. And I did it on the paradoxical, paradoxical relationship between um, cash flow and my W2 income because we're yeah. working so hard to build a portfolio to provide cash flow so that we don't have to rely on our W2 jobs that if we ever lose our job, we'll be okay. And now here I am almost relying on my W2 income Mm -hmm. to potentially support my rental portfolio if the tenants don't pay. And that was like a crazy switch that I was like, wow, I'm so lucky we have this. And you know, that none of our tenants did end up losing their job. We've ended up being okay. And all the worrying was kind of for nothing. But I think if anything, and I know we're not in the clear yet, this has been like a very nice slap on the wrist early on in our career to be like, hey, you really need to value reserves. And that needs to be something that you focus on because I'm not going to lie prior, we'd be like, mm, we got 20 grand in our reserves account, but like, here's another property. Uh-huh. No, I'm a thousand percent guilty of that. And after this, I'm like, I have to start saving more. Like I'm going to need to do the like six months to a year pause and build my reserves back up personally and business wise because the business has some reserves, but I kind of want to double it and get it back up to a healthy level because you just never know what's going to happen. And running myself a little lean is a little scarier now that we've, I've seen a lot of people struggle their way through this. So we've been lucky, but still it, it's a little daunting. (laughs) Exactly. But I also feel like this is kind of like what we were talking about before with paying off your debt, building up your reserves account is going to take you a little bit of time to get there. But once you do get there, it's really going to allow you to maybe be a little bit more riskier or to act in a way um, that's more efficient for your business. I think that would be so helpful because I know personally, if you have that reserve cushion, you you can be a little more risky and I feel like you take a little bit of, you know, to some challenges because you can weather the storm a little bit and you can end up with some really good deals or, you know, really get into some good like business endeavors and things. I also wanted to touch base with you guys on how you place tenants in your properties because you talked a little bit about how you like really have nailed down your screening process. It sounds like about having a realtor. Have you ever listed with a realtor or are you doing it all through cozy? We have not. We've done it all through Cozy. Facebook actually was. Like yeah. So really we, we do our listing through Cozy, which syndicates out to a few different platforms. Then we listen on Zillow and we also listen on Facebook Marketplace. And it's funny because I'm a little bit of like a data person. So yeah. each property, I'll, I'll kind of like gather the data and see, okay, this is how many interested parties we had on each platform. This is how many people came for a tour. This is how many people came for an application. And excuse me, and it hasn't been consistent. Like I can't say Facebook is better or Zillow is better. It's always been different. So I still just post on all of them. 
And I believe you do this too. I'm all about a pre-screening questionnaire. Yes. So we used to we used to list oh. it and then just show up and assume that people were going to show up when they told us they were going to show up. Yeah. And then we went all night and nobody showed up. So like, and even if you like make people make appointments, they still don't show up. I'm like, what is wrong with people? Yeah. Exactly. So now I do the pre-screening questionnaire that I know you're a fan of too. And huge, that's a huge pre-screening questionnaire fan. And that just like gets out a lot of people who are just, especially on Facebook, and I'm assuming the other platforms too, they could just press a button that says, I'm interested. And if someone's yeah. looking, they might just be going and pressing that button a million times. So I have my canned email response with a link to the questionnaire. It automatically sends to them. They fill it out. And then, you know, once a day, I look through it and I move forward from there. And then we do um, time, I don't want to say open house style showings, but like time block showings. Yeah. So I'll schedule someone for, you know, 3, 3.15, 3.30, Because I noticed that when I used to say, hey, we're showing it between 3 and 4, people think, oh, it's an open house. There are other people coming. If I don't show up, it's no big deal. Right. And now I also say, I don't give them the address until the day of. So I text them. An hour before I say, hey, just want to confirm. We're still going to show the unit in an hour. Please confirm back. Then I'll give you the address. And then they say, yep, I'll be there at this time. And then I send them the address. And this way I'm not wasting time going to the property. And I'm actually planning on streamlining, streamlining this a little bit more. I'm going to be switching, I think, over mm -hmm. to Buildium for property management. And they have a like an automatic showing assistant that you can like pay extra for the month that you're filling a vacancy mm -hmm. and they have everything I just mentioned is completely automated. So they automatically send the email. They automatically um, text the tenant an hour before they automatically send the address. So it's super automated like that, which I, I know I just said automated 13 times, but that's what I'm focusing on. Because <laughs> but that's a really big deal in this. If you're going to scale a business, automation is key. So repetition never yeah. hurts. So if you're not automating after this podcast, you should be. <laughs> We're trying to figure out how we can automate a smart lock for the front door as well, where it could do that whole thing. And then the door would have a lock. They can self show. And then, mm -hmm. yeah. and then we still want to meet them because we are like a small time business. We still want to have that personal experience with them. We're just trying to figure out what that last piece is going to look like. Do we yeah. then schedule a in-person meeting? Do we do it through zoom? We're not hundred percent sure yet how we're going to move forward with that. But so it's funny you say, yeah. What were you going to say? No, I'm just saying we, we've, we've, we've like. Kyle's saying that he wants to do an in-person in meeting for sure. Meeting, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You gain a lot You can't that. smell through Zoom. <laughs> that like is accurate. Drunk up. And no, and like, you're like, oh, I don't want you smoking in my units. But if you walk in and smell like smoke and you're like, oh, do you smoke? And you're like, no. I'm like, do you not? I don't know. <laughs> Unconvinced. <laughs> so that's always a red flag. I put a keypad lock on my house hack. For the basement because I was thinking about trying to do contactless showings with it when I list it. Um, so that's my first, it was like a hundred dollar lock. It was kind of ridiculous, but I love it. It's so much fun because then my renovation guys can just walk in and keypad in and you can set like the different codes too for it. So that's true. And then you could keep a, you could keep track of like who came, right? Because they each have their own code, you know, Ooh, the plumber's yeah. here, at three. the electrician never showed up. <laughs> Right, exactly. So there's some that are fancier that track. I think mine's pretty basic where you can just set codes and then give people different ones if you want to, but I don't think it stores like when they were used, what day, but there are some that do, which I've heard is really helpful, especially if you were like long distance landlording 
and your handyman's like, oh, I was there and I fixed the toilet. And it's like, were you really? <laughs> or is it still running in it? You never were actually out there. But I really like that idea also. So if you guys start doing keypads or anything like that, let me know what you use and if it works. So will do. We definitely try out lots of, it's a lot of trial and error. I think that's what people like newbies starting out. I always like to talk about like, they just think you're going to have it figured out or you should be ready to start and you just learn as you go and you talk to other people. That's a huge thing because, and we did this too, but before some people even put in an offer, they're already thinking about their lease or they're already thinking about their website. And those are things that you don't have to worry about yet. And because you're working on them, you feel productive and you feel like you're working towards your goal, but you're really not. So you just got to break it down into small steps and just do what do I have to do next and only focus on that. That's what I'm learning too. I'm like, you can figure out how to problem solve like your way to a plumber. So houses, there's a lot of people that work on houses and have that skill set. So I think that's probably the best beginner advice is don't feel like you have to have it all together because I also didn't have lease forms or pre-screening or anything and you just get better at it as you go. My last question, we'll kind of wrap up since we've been talking for a while. So I always ask people, so 2020, I'm outsourcing things in my life, like things that I don't enjoy. So I'm having my lawn mowed right now, which is fantastic. Um, what are things you guys have decided to outsource? So we've kind of hit on this a lot with thinking about outsourcing parts of your business and holding on to property management and then trying to outsource more contractor type pieces. But do you guys do anything business specifically that you can think of or even personally that you've yeah, gotten so rid of? The biggest one for me is we've started to outsource all emergency calls, any maintenance calls. Ooh. Just specifically, we had a receptacle pull out of a wall in one of our units and usually it would be me going over there to do it. And we're now outsourcing that. And that's mm-hmm. fantastic. That is amazing. So how did you outsource that? That's really interesting. So it's actually a great story. So our first foray into using a GC was this guy. And he was solo. He was a little bit older, super slow. It didn't work out, but Lauren made a good point. You know, he's just in the wrong seat. Like, where can we use him? And it was, he knew a lot about a lot of different things. He wasn't like a a master at any of them, but he had a wide range of knowledge, which is perfect for a maintenance guy. So um, now we have a good relationship with him and to do uh, our small maintenance stuff. Mm -hmm. And then our very first thing we outsourced was cutting the grass, which was at our duplex. So we lived there. So at first I, we felt super lazy, but it got to the point where we were like not doing things with our family because we had to mow the lawn. And I was like, this is a business expense. Like, why are we not just taking advantage of that? Mm -hmm. So that was our first thing. And then this isn't what we're doing now, but we already decided that when we, and maybe before 10 years, but when we like reach our goal and we feel like this is an okay expense, we are a thousand percent hiring out laundry. Like we both hate laundry and we both hate putting away laundry. So we are going to hire someone who's going to come like once or twice a week, do our laundry and put it back in our drawers and in our closet for us because we both hate I'm okay staying. washing it. I it never makes yes. it back in my drawer. The putting it away is the worst part. Yeah. I'm with you. Do they make services where people come into your house and actually like so is my, it just like a cleaning my, lady? Yes. That's what my Yeah. So we actually have already thought about what their schedule is gonna yes. look like. Yeah. This is so far in advance, and I'm like, okay, so they're gonna come like every week. Once a month will be like the normal cleaning lady deep clean. Yeah. Once a month will be like, or maybe more than maybe like twice a month will be like changing all the sheets, changing out like all the, all the like hand yeah. towels. Then 
also every week will be laundry. Like, and just kind of like spreading out the different yes. that each day or each week she's there for the same amount of time, but, but does a different activity. It does a different task. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Because I have this really good cleaning lady that I used for a while. And then since I moved to my house hack, I haven't been using her. Um, but I'm, I've been thinking about restarting her at some point, but I'm like every dollar and penny I have right now is like going into getting this house hack done and getting it up and running. And so I'm like, I want to restart her at some point because having a baby, I think if you guys become parents, you will suddenly be like, oh, our 10 year plan to get a housekeeper became like today <laughs> because you're like, holy cow, I don't have time to do this. But I'm thinking that'd be so nice to not have to do the laundry aspect. And I wonder if she would do it. She's I feel the like sweetest it, like, lady. At least she's like, maybe even just the putting away, like if you, the day she comes, you like put it in the wash, put it in and transfer it to dryer. Maybe she just puts it away for you or folds yeah. it. Even if she just folds it. So yeah. my aunt, it started off, she got her cleaning lady to start doing the sheets. So what she would do is clean them and then just, she folded them, put them on the bed and the, the cleaning lady would just put it on. So she gave her like a little extra per month and then it just became a thing. No, and my, she would be so nice about it. Like she would thousand percent do it. So I'm like, she's like, yeah, just let me know what you want. And now you have me thinking because I was like, that's a really good application. I also, I know I'm getting off on a tangent here, but this is like something I've like dreamed about is I also hate the idea of cleaning for the cleaning lady. Yes. I him or her to come over for like orientation and I will show you where everything goes because when you come, you're also going to put away the things that I'm supposed to put away before you come. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to not clean before the cleaning and lady. Like $5,000 a month. That's okay. I hate <laughs> cleaning for the cleaning lady. <laughs> we bought two extra houses to be able to afford our cleaning lady because she does everything. <laughs> our cleaning lady house. I mean, whenever we want something, we're like, I oh, will just buy a house and that exactly yeah there you go we buy one more house it's the laundry folding house exactly <laughs> awesome yeah. well any any last words you have for new investors or i think definitely check you guys out on instagram um you guys have had a really good video series too which i want to be able to hit on because i've really been enjoying where it's like instagram i'm so used to following you on there but i like the like email blast too with the video series so you can feel like you're a little more involved in the project and so it's a good behind the scenes Yay, so, I'm so glad you enjoy it. Yes, yeah, so go get on their mailing list as well, their email list, because you guys send out, like, you have very tasteful use of email. So good job on that. <laughs> Thank you, because we don't have a lot of subscribers on it, and <laughs> I only send it for the video series. So I feel like you don't get it, you know, you don't get hit with it too often. Yeah, it's so, it's been really good, but I enjoyed that. How did you guys decide to get into the video series? I meant to pick your brain on that too, because then, like, it was... It's a partly bigger pockets, right? But was it kind of your, do you have actual people like recording your video? How do you, how'd you get all that set up? So we do it all ourselves. Yeah, good <laughs> job. That's we awesome. We always wanted to like kind of do a YouTube series or something like that. And it just so happened that BP reached out to us uh, asking if we were interested in doing it. And we had already been kind of discussing it. So it was easy to jump right in. Definitely. Um, and we, we really, do all the video and the editing. Yeah. And we really liked their idea because we wanted it, what, what I like about our Instagram channel <laughs> or what we really tried to do on our Instagram is it is live. It is what we are doing right now. It's not like super curated. I don't talk about tenant screening unless we're tenant screening. So you right. are following along with our life as we do it. And if we're not doing anything, I'm not posting for the sake of posting. Right. And so that's what I, what really like hooked us with the video series is the bigger pockets producer was like, we really want to do a vlog style video series. We want to follow along with you, whatever you happen to be doing that week. That's what we want it to be about. 
And that really and you're like, Hey, that's what we do. That's awesome. Yeah, you just nailed that. like your goals. Exactly. So it's been a really great partnership, but like Kyle said, we do all of the filming, all of the editing. It is very time consuming. It's super <laughs> yeah. time consuming. It's, it's funny how to watch how it's affected our renovation also, because it's, time consuming it's yeah, like, like while we're what, filming i'm like done. i'm like wait the battery died you, you can't finish painting the wall he's like are you serious <laughs> or i'm holding something like up and she's like wait wait, wait the battery died <laughs> like come on no so okay so it's funny because one night i was like prepping because i wanted to do a video about um because i actually had someone come out and do like some photos and things and so i had to get cabinets in process so i posted those like pretty green cabinets i painted well i had like one side primed and then one side like degloss and then one side like I had to have it in like all the steps of the process to be able to demonstrate everything and then you'd be like partway through painting and it's like oh I don't like this camera angle can you start over I'm like no I did like a, it's only three cabinet doors I only have one <laughs> so it's I understand like the struggle of being like don't finish that we need to change camera angles and oh yeah because what she'll do is so she's down because we're on the third floor my cut station's all the way down in our garage so yeah. we'll send her down numbers and then it like 20 minutes later, she's bringing up like two boards and I'm like, what was going on down there? And, uh, then I'm, while I'm editing, I notice she's got like 10 different angles of her cutting oh. so one cut and then like change the camera angle, check it, one cut, cut another one. And it's like, <laughs> it looks great in the it video. It looks great in the video, but it has taken now like 20 minutes to <laughs> like a five two boards <laughs> <laughs> now i want to go back through and watch your videos on cutting angles because i know like the sheer effort that went into oh you'll say it'll be like here and then here and then close up and then back out it's like, i remember watching it and thinking it was really good and like following along with the process and now it's always fun to see it's also shockingly like every time you do video how long it takes to get if you're speaking good take yeah and there's a storyteller i'm like do it again do it more concise he's like well, okay um, <laughs> But it's also funny if you watch the videos and there's a time lapse that was basically like, okay, we don't have time to film this. So we're yeah. just going to put the camera here and it, yeah. hopefully it yeah. catches everything. Cause like, or we're, we have like our plumber coming and we have to have this done. So I we don't have time to mess around. Like we've got to get it done. Yeah. No, I want to go back and watch your video of cutting wood, like the boards and things. Oh, you'll see it. It's, it's when it's, she's cutting the chop saw. She's cutting, I think the ship lap. Yeah. It was definitely yes. that. Yeah. I, I think because I was trying to get my time lapses going of my, my painting project I was working on and my phone kept dying or I'd get a text. I'm like 20 hours later, I'm done with this time lapse video. <laughs> Send me those on Instagram. I'm on there all the time. So definitely go check out Lauren and Kyle. So you're at Reynolds to Wealth. You have a blog as well, but you're probably most active on Instagram. And then your email list, I think is your big. Exactly. Yeah. Instagram's where it's at. We make our best effort to respond to every DM. Yes. I respond to every DM as well. Still, I think some people get a lot more, the more you post, the more you get. So there for a while I was pretty absent. So I feel like I'm having like a very, a really reasonable amount of DMs lately. It's been nice. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. I'll totally let you go because we've gone over, but I appreciate it. This has been really fun. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. So thank you. Right. And I will hop off and I'm going to go start planning our investor scuba diving getaway trip. Yes. No, please let me know what location you want. Gosh, did you all just love this episode? I hope you're enjoying each of these podcasts as much as I am. If you are, please go subscribe to the podcast and spread the word by sharing your thoughts on Instagram. If you are not already aware, I'm pretty much obsessed with Instagram. So seriously, come find me. 
Instagram is the place where I'm going to announce every new podcast episode. I also share new products as I post them into my store. And I also am just going to be oversharing way too much about my personal life as a DIY landlord and a working boss mom. Thanks so much for listening.